Hey, Dan. What up, guy? You're into this fintech. What's all this I'm hearing about Current? You're going to like this guy. Current is a fintech company that's completely disrupting traditional banking. Wait a second. Does that mean I don't have to drive to the bank anymore? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I manage an important part of my family's finances from one easy-to-use app. Well, I got to get this app, but where can I learn more? It's super easy. Just go to Current.com slash OK, O-K-A-Y, and download the app. That's Current.com slash OK. Current is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Choice Financial Group, member FDIC, and Cross River Bank, member FDIC. Will M&A pick up in 2024? Will this year mark the return of IPOs? Listen to Strategic Alternatives, a podcast from RBC Capital Markets, to get fresh insights on the trends and market forces impacting deal flow across sectors and find out how companies and investors are preparing for potential surge in deal activity and what signals to watch for this year. Listen and subscribe to Strategic Alternatives, the RBC Capital Markets podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to a very special edition of the OK Computer Podcast. I am joined by Gene Munster, Managing Partner of Deepwater Management. Gene, welcome back to the pod. It's a pleasure to be back, Dan. Listen, and I say this, a very special edition. You are a great friend. We've gotten to know each other over, it feels like more than a decade or so. We met on the set of CNBC's Fast Money. This is when you were the axe in the Apple stock. There's no doubt about it. And and you really took over a group of stocks that came to be known as the Mag 7. We're going to spend a little time on that. But I just really want to remind our listeners, our viewers, you've been a great guest on this podcast over the last couple of years. I think we've been doing it like a quarterly preview of the big tech earnings season, at least over the last year and a half or so. But remind our listeners and our viewers a little bit um, of what deep water is. I just mentioned you were the axe on the stocks uh, on the sell side for years and years, but you have a very different role now. You still do deep analytical work on the largest publicly traded tech stocks, but you also do a lot of great work in the private tech community, Gene. So remind our viewers, our listeners a little bit about what deep water is. Deepwater, our mission is to profit from where the world is going, and we do that by investing in both public and private companies. And that is the single differentiating point. There are other funds that do that, but they tend to be these mega funds, but we are under a $5 billion fund. We're the leaders when it comes to investing both in private and public assets. And so that's what Deepwater is. It is this wonderful circle that we have, the ability to hear what the big tech companies are working on, they want to build, invest in private companies that want to fill some of those gaps, potentially be acquired, and also best understand where some of these private companies could run into headwinds from the big companies. And so from our perspective, we just want to profit from where the world is going. We do have an ETF. It is the Deepwater Frontier Tech. Frontier Tech is just what are those cutting edge themes that we're going to be talking about in three to five years. And the ticker there is L-O-U-P. And so pleasure to be back. All right, man. I appreciate it. And again, you know, that, that confluence between some of those trends that you see bubbling up in, in private tech markets and, and how they disintermediate some of the larger incumbents that we spend a lot of time talking about in the public markets. That intersection is one of the reasons why we started the OK Computer um, podcast over a couple of years ago. We just find that intersection so fascinating. And there's a lot of fun stuff to be done in, in the intersection of that. But there's also a lot of really interesting 
investment trends that can be acted upon right now in some of these larger names, but also for some of those of you out there who are more nimble and invest in the private markets. Again, those are trends that we want to keep focused on. Let's do a little bit of a vibe check here. You and I have not spoken in, I think it was like probably late October when we were previewing Q3 earnings a little bit. A lot happened in Q4. There was a bit of a melt up and a lot of it had to do with just the expectation for interest rates, but also the comfort level that a lot of investors had gotten with some of the largest names in the stock market that were being driven by, I think you and I are both in agreement, one of the most exciting secular shifts that's gone on, not just in technology, but probably for the economy as a whole. Yeah, for humanity. There you go. In a long time. So Gene, we started the year off with some profit taking in the MAG7, right? We saw some of the biggest names that had some of the biggest gains, okay, being sold in that first week of the year. I don't think any of us were that surprised, but they quickly got back on their horse. And we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about NVIDIA, but NVIDIA now is up 20% of the year. It's nearly a one and a half trillion market cap company right now. So just do the math on that. It was up 200 plus percent last year, but up 20% this year. You just see how much is gained in market cap when you get to that north of $1 trillion mark here. It seems like it's just all systems go again. We are right back into the same themes that drove 2023. Absolutely. It hasn't missed a beat in terms of the focus on this paradigm shift. And we talked about this last time too, but I just want to put some scope on what we're talking about related to AI. And the best way I describe it is mobile on a scale of one to hundred being the most important. Uh, We'll put electricity at a hundred. Mobile would be 25. The internet's 50. And AI is, in my opinion, at 90. And so this is a big deal. And I think that's part of the reason why we continue to see some of these companies move higher. In the case of NVIDIA, I haven't seen anything like this since I've been investing and covering tech and specifically the the magnitude of the upside and the raises. And more recently in the past week, we've heard comments from Meta about what they're spending on GPUs. Those are going to be NVIDIA-based GPUs, but Meta alone can be 15% of NVIDIA's business potentially. depends on how fast they're going to be implementing those GPUs. And the point there is that these deep pockets continue to reach deeper. If you're going to look at Meta and their infrastructure spending, they're increasing it by about 30% related to AI versus kind of the run rate that they were at before. And so 30% is a big number when it comes to CapEx increases over a short period of time. And so NVIDIA is obviously benefiting from that. And the big focus of NVIDIA, they're on a January quarter, so we're not going to be seeing them report for a while. But the big Focus is going to be, of course, what the growth rate is in 2025. Almost impossible for the company to give guidance for 2025. But if you're curious, the business is growing at close to 300% in January of this year. And the expectations are that growth is going to be around 15% in calendar 2025. And so a pretty big deceleration just because of the tough comps. If you're going to ask me over under, are they going to grow faster than 15% in 2025? I'll take the over. Mid-teens expected period over period earnings and sales growth. Flat, you know, margins 73-ish percent, which again, I think you would not normally assign that to a company deemed to be a maker of semiconductors. So there's a lot of other things going on there. And that's one of the reasons why it trades nearly two times that expected 
growth for 2025 after the kind of hyper growth period that we saw last year. But isn't it easy to say that the easy money has probably been made in NVIDIA? Because like you would say, you'd take the over under on that. What if we have a period, and we had a great pod a couple of weeks ago with Dan Niles of the Saturi Fund, and he's been like you, wildly bullish on NVIDIA over the course of the last year and sees what you see as far as a secular shift and just this is you know, a multi-year sort of thing. But after the sort of year that we had last year, and then you think about some of the restrictions that NVIDIA has as it relates to China and some of the other supply demand sort of issues, at some point we're going to have an inventory situation where the double and triple ordering that has existed and maybe just might fall off a little bit. And if we do see like a high single digits growth rate, that's when the stock comes off very quickly, 25, 30% in my opinion. So like the, the easy money gets harder and harder to be made in a story that is as good as NVIDIA. Is that fair? I know that that seems like an odd way to phrase it. From my perspective, the I buried the lead. I think the over is over 15% for growth in 2025. I think the stock is going to do fine, but I think there are much better places to invest in mega cap and in the private markets when it comes to AI. And specifically to NVIDIA, you're exactly right. I mentioned that those just epic upside to numbers. And some of that was driven by double ordering. And ultimately, there is going to be continued strong growth, better than 15%. But this is not a 50% growing company. And they're going to participate in uh, the whole AI theme. Undoubtedly, this company is critical. They're going to be largely unchallenged for the next five years. And so I think that directionally, this is positive, but I think uh, there's just better places to own it. We've opted not to own at Deepwater, not to own NVIDIA. Instead, we own TSM. TSMC obviously makes the chips there. This is has a major geopolitical overhang to it, but that's the way we're investing in the hardware side of AI. Yeah, and just to be clear, when you think about it on a multiple of like revenues expected in calendar year 2025, maybe Nvidia does 110 billion. Again, this is a company that in 2022 in calendar year did 27 and a half billion dollars. Okay, but just think about this: we're three weeks into the year, and Nvidia has already gained 250 billion dollars in market cap. So just think a multiple of sales on what they just incrementally did, to me, that's when things are starting to get a, a, a bit haywire here, which is why you just mentioned Meta and what their intentions are in buying the H100s and the GPUs from NVIDIA, but that's in the stock right now. Like, like so Those are the reasons why people have been buying the stock over the last year, but specifically over the last few weeks or so. So as we get into next week's earnings, Gene, we have basically the big five. Okay. So NVIDIA is off cycle. We have Tesla that's going to report as you're listening to this Wednesday today. Okay. And to me, we're going to spend a little special time on Tesla because that's, I think, a special part of this MAG7, if you will. But next week on Tuesday, we're going to have Microsoft and Alphabet, two names that are clearly in this AI story. They're also customers of NVIDIA. And then on Thursday, February 1st, we have Amazon, Meta, and Apple. And again, Amazon and Meta and Apple, for that matter, all customers of NVIDIA. NVIDIA. Apple is the one story of the five that has no Gen AI pixie dust associated with it. And I assume, and I don't want to, again, we'll save it for our Apple discussion. It's probably one of the things that you think is, is a lot of optionality in the Apple story going forward. So we have those five stocks reporting next week. They're about 25% of the S&P 500. They're about 33% of the NASDAQ 100. Let's talk about Microsoft here. And this is one that, again, you have been pounding the table on all year. 
I know this because not only have you been on Fast Money probably 10 times with me over the course of the last year, but you've been doing the pod with us over the last quarterly period as we look into these numbers. And again, your view into the quarter is one thing. Your longer term view and how you're investing in and around how this company is positioned is another thing. How are you feeling about the company right now? Because it's pretty remarkable. It's overtaken Apple in market cap terms, and it's just being talked about in a way you and I have not heard about in Microsoft in a very long time. For sure. Innovation is back. And it's one thing to talk about AI when it comes to innovation. It's something else to put it into the substance of products. And it's a third is to actually make those products available. And within the past year, Microsoft's done all three of those. And when it comes to the substance, this, of course, is Copilot, the product being office and the impact can be measurable. If we think about the $30 a month subscription up from average of 15 a month and those 360 million, call it office subscribers. And if you just put this in the biggest terms here related to Microsoft is that they have about a $220 billion business. It's going to grow about 15% this year. And that office is call it 65 billion in revenue. And if they get uh, a third of those uh, office users to pay up for Copilot over time, that would add 20 billion or add 10%. And you could say that's not a lot because it's still a $200 billion revenue company, or you could say that's material because it's still 20 billion. My take is for the large cap companies, this is a very clear opportunity related to AI over the next couple of years. The good news for Microsoft investors, and we should talk about what I think is going to be the broader narrative around AI with investing. But the good news, I think, from Microsoft is that the expectations are still surprisingly muted when it comes to contribution from this. So in the December quarter, the street's looking for just over 15% growth. And as I mentioned, it's uh, just a hair under 15% for 2014 and a similar growth rate in 2015. And so you don't have, I would be nervous about Microsoft if, for example, the expectations were for 15% growth in December, and then it went to 18% next year and 23% in 25, something like that. But in this case, you actually have real products adding some revenue. And I think expectations are still relatively muted. But if it's okay, Dan, I'd love just to pause and just mentioned kind of, I think as from the highest level from some of these, with really the exception of Tesla, the MAG-7, the question that investors are going to ask is 2024, we're going to be a year where we start to see the substance of AI contributing to revenue. And I think the broader answer is going to be no. I think invest, I think the, the management teams are going to be cautioning, don't expect too much from AI this year. And I just want to uh, point out that could be a perception negative to some of these companies going into earnings. I think that's going to be the the talking points about what pick the company of the Mag Seven said about AI that don't expect much contribution. And it only and the good news too is on that front is that most of the the street numbers aren't expecting an acceleration in twenty four. But I just think from a bullet point from a headline risk perspective. I just want to highlight that as one risk. It's very near term. We're talking about impacting these stocks for weeks, not months. But I would mention that. And just to bring us back to Microsoft, as I think Microsoft is a company that actually will start to see a benefit in 2024. I think you and I had that same sort of conversation in July of, of last year, right? And the NASDAQ was very near highs. I think the excitement in and around these products and the commercialization of these products was at a fever pitch. And a lot of the companies had like suggested they were going to announce the pricing, Microsoft in the case of Copilot or Adobe and Firefly and Salesforce had some pricing out. And that was the top of the NASDAQ. And over the next couple of months, and it's interesting because you're almost talking about 
about a narrative that played out last summer into last fall. Microsoft sold off 15%. The NASDAQ sold off a little more than 10%. And so here we are now off the lows in September and October. A stock like Microsoft has had this huge run, right? It's up nearly 30%. This is a $3 trillion market cap company. And to your point, expected to grow earnings and sales in the mid, maybe high teens at best, but trading on a forward multiple at a price point that we have not seen for this stock. And so if you're telling me that companies might tamp down expectations, at least investor expectations for the commercialization or the revenue and ultimately the profit that drops down from these in the current year, to me, that seems very clear that there's a potential for a big disappointment. And when I say big, I don't mean crash. And I don't mean to the tune of 2000 or something like that. Like this secular shift that everybody believed in in 2000 about the internet or e-commerce or whatever the the disruption was going to be there, that it was all going to come crashing down. I don't think anyone thought it was going to be that sort of bad in a way. And so I don't think that's what's going to be on the cusp of here. But a meaningful deceleration and a lack of being able to point to dropping to the bottom line should take a, a few turns at least off of some of these names. Does that make sense, especially when the sentiment is so positive right now, Gene? Exactly. And that's said a better way than how I described it, but that I think it's appropriate to have just some right size expectations about what the commentary is going to be. It doesn't mean that numbers are going to change, but I think that that hope that AI is going to have an impact in 2024, that upside surprise potential gets minimized. And I would consider it a couple turns on the multiples impact here. It just is hard to run the equation a different way. It's hard for me to imagine that these companies will be bullish about saying that they're going to have a contribution, number one, because I don't think for most of them, the products are at a point right now to really have that impact. And second is it's unlikely that management teams are going to want to set that expectation. And so I think when you put those two together, I think we should just, I think the investing community should just be prepared for that commentary and be prepared for a a broader sell-off and put that in the context of a couple turns on the multiple on these prints. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And and putting your sell-side hat on again, there's 65 uh, banks that that rate Microsoft. 60 of them rated a buy, five a hold, no sells. 12-month price target is $430 of stocks, just under $400, expecting 8%. The stock's already up 5 or 6% on the year. You know what I mean? So again, I don't really care about price targets and ratings, but it is interesting to know with a stock like Tesla or a stock like Apple, the analyst community is very mixed on them. It's about almost 50-50 holds versus buys, which tells you that there's a, a great deal more debate over the anointment of these stories at these valuations and, and the like. Totally agree. I think yeah, Microsoft's case, the bar is high. I think that it pulls off on this print. But I think ultimately the stock's higher in a year or two. Yeah. And then here was a a, a stat that I saw from Bespoke. As of January 19th, NVIDIA and Microsoft had accounted for about 75% of the S&P 500's gain this year, while 20 of the largest stocks in the index accounted for 110% of the index upside move. The remaining 480 stocks were acting as a drag. And this just, again, highlights that concentration, not just on the largest names, but for the reasons that they are. And that's the one thing. That's the one comparison, Gene. I go back to the year 2000. 
2000 is that there were plenty of true believers about this tech and how disruptive it was going to be. And the stories are so different. The companies are so different. The profitability levels, the bases that they're working on. I mean, the list goes on and on and on, like the differences. But markets act on sentiment. And right now, we still have this concentration of excitement and exuberance in a very small group of stocks. And until about mid-December, there were hundreds of stocks in the S&P 500 that were trading horribly. And so to me, I just think it's important. And if we were to see yields, and I'm just curious, just putting your macro hat on, how closely are you tracking yields and Fed funds futures and where and when the Fed is likely to start cutting? And do you think that this is going to be the sort of thing, if they can do it just because inflation has come down, not because the economy is weakening, this will be a good thing for mega cap tech stocks like Microsoft and Apple and Amazon? I think it's an okay thing. I, to answer your question, how closely do I track it? And the answer is closely. Second is in terms of the impact to the MAG-7, it's going to have a marginal positive impact. In terms of the impact to the smaller companies, I mentioned that ETF, we don't invest in the MAG-7 on that. It's just disruptive tech that's uh, the smaller companies. It has an outsized impact on that. And so I think if the if the Fed hits their the target, what is it now, four or five cuts this year, whatever the number is, if they hit that the investor expectation around that, I think it's going to be a bigger positive impact on some of these smaller tech companies. One of the themes there is that obviously tracking unemployment, we've seen some of the big tech companies continue with their layoffs, continue with this idea of Alphabet. We'll kind of segue to here right now. This is a company that just announced a thousand layoffs. And these are like, you know, these are jobs that people thought were very much in demand, right? The, the sorts of like high end engineering jobs, that sort of thing. So they still call these sorts of things, they're still focused on costs. And that focus on costs at the start of last year, for a company like Alphabet, for a company like Meta, really, I, I think investors um, appreciated to some deals. When you think about when Alphabet reporting Tuesday after the close, and again, some of the news stories prior to the report are about a focus on costs, about continued job cuts and the like here. How are you thinking about them positioning in, in this secular shift? A year ago at this time, a lot of folks were very unhappy with the BARD rollout and, and some of the other products in and around generative AI that they just assumed that Alphabet that was on the forefront of, but Microsoft, OpenAI really stole the show. And, and obviously the outperformance of Microsoft over the last year tells a story. How are you thinking about Alphabet relative to Microsoft, how they're positioned and their ability to maybe play some catch up, at least from just a sentiment standpoint about the narrative around generative AI? I think it's the best way to invest in AI for the mega caps is through Google. We're coming up on the one-year anniversary of the telescope debacle when they started to uh, showcase BARD and, and how when it got that, that question famously wrong and really set the narrative around how smart this is in the a negative direction. They've course-corrected some of that more recently with some of the videos that they've put out related to BARD Ultra or Gemini Ultra now it's uh, going to be called. And that is a multimodal that ChatGPT does have some aspects of that. For those of you who are new to this, multimodal means the ability to interact with a generative uh, chatbot through both text and voice and visuals. And so uh, that is expected to be out sometime in the first part of this ultra version, sometime in the first part of 2024. And I think that's going to change the uh, really the investment energy around this. Uh, one of the uh, the, the substance of this is that they're going to have a generative product that's successful. The other piece to it is 
what does that mean for their search business? This, of course, has been the the central question with Google is, number one, are they going to be able to play in the foundation model game? The answer is yes, as they should, given the data that they have. It's all about training data. They've got the best training data for the last 20 years. And then the second question is, how does it impact your core business? In the case of Microsoft, obvious positive impact with Copilot, increasing the utility of what's going on in Office. That's why you get 60 of the 65 analysts being positive. When it comes to Google, I don't know what that breakdown is, but it's not going to be as favorable as it is for Microsoft because you have this concern about this risk that their search business, not that it's going to go away, but the growth just peters out. It's been 10, 12, 15% growth for the past 10 years, just a steady eddy business, but that could potentially get down in the low single digit number. My belief is that they're going to find a way to get mobile or get AI right when it comes to search because they got mobile right. And that was a big shift from desktop to mobile. And there are some questions about would they retain their leadership position then. So I'm using that as an analog. And I think that this ultimately is the best way. And credit Google, they were the first company of the Mag7 to put AI first. In 2017, they changed their message to investors that we're an AI first company. And I think they've been making the right investments there. So I'm optimistic. They definitely have work to do. Their cloud business took a step back last quarter. They've made some changes more recently to that business. But I'm optimistic that this is going to be the best performing mega cap AI company in 2024. Well, it's interesting when you think about it from a multiple standpoint and 11% expected sales growth in calendar 2024, maybe mid-teens earnings growth trades about 22 times, which is very cheap to many of its peers, maybe not meta, but the gross margin is one. And and I think when you talk about search and the potential for cannibalization, if they get some of this stuff right, as far as Bard slash Gemini, what does that mean for that search business? Their gross margins have not been growing for years and they play in a world where, you know, like a Microsoft or obviously like pretty, pretty hefty sort of margins there. So that's something that to me, if they can articulate to the street, how a lot of this kind of gen AI within or across their productivity tools, across search, across some of the, the digital advertising can help. And that's part of the story with Meta. That is something how this stock gets re-rated in my opinion. But you mentioned one thing, and this is really important. When they reported in October, the stock sold off 9% the next day because of that cloud business. And we know how tightly aligned the kind of gen AI aspirations and then the public cloud businesses are. Talk to us a little bit about that and what you're expecting. And is that something that investors may focus on again if there is not material improvement? You said they have tried to address some of the issues that were in that last report. And some just perspective at the overall cloud business, AWS is the leading market share. It's at 32%. Azure is number two. And obviously Microsoft at 22%. And Google Cloud is number three at 11%. In the September quarter, Google Cloud's revenue growth was 23%. Year over year, that was down from 28% in the June quarter. So we saw a deceleration. At the same time, AWS revenue growth went up just fractionally from like 12.2 to 12.4%, but it was up and that was viewed as positive. And Azure's revenue growth stepped up by a few percentage too, ended up at like 29%. So that showed a reacceleration. So it was the outlier is my point. Google Cloud was the outlier. And I wasn't thinking about that, that your comment there, earlier, and I should have been, because 
I think that is going to play an outsized, even though it's sub 10% or 10% of their business, it does have an outside piece on the, the psychology in part because of the way cloud plays into the AI opportunity. And I think that as far as my expectations for Google Cloud growth, I would expect it to be in line with the growth rates that we saw in the September quarter, 23%. If I'm wrong and it grows at 20%, then the stock's probably going down on the earnings. I would, uh, for those Google executives who are listening here, uh, encourage them to do what Dan just mentioned is to help investors better understand how Gemini is going to have a positive impact on search growth in the future. I think this idea that search is going to get commoditized across the internet from multiple generative AI apps, I think is just a topic that Google has not done a good job explaining. They've done a great job of talking about the impact of AI on YouTube and content creation and recommendations, but they really haven't address the elephant in the room. I guess this is a good segue also maybe just to Amazon. So on February 1st, we're going to have Amazon reporting Meta and Apple here. Just a couple of quick minutes here on Amazon and, and, and AWS. And you mentioned just that slight uptick. I, I know that a lot of investors are getting a little concerned as we've seen that growth really decelerate to a level we have not ever seen in for AWS. And you think about some of the things that they're trying to do in and around generative AI. We, we know that their investments in Anthropic and a whole host of other sorts of things. And they have from advertising, from recommendation, the list goes on and on where generative AI could be very helpful to Amazon and their ecosystem, but most specifically within AWS and drawing interest for folks coming there and using those services through their public cloud. Talk to me a little bit about how you're thinking about Amazon right now. I think that investors got really downbeat on that North American retail business, and then they got excited about it, right, when it became a bit more profitable. How are you thinking about this story, and where do you think investors should be most focused on here in the near term as the stock is basically back towards its all-time highs, and, and much like the rest of its peers, it's been bottom left, upper right over the last year? The pressure point on the quarter, of course, is going to be AWS growth, and just to recap, 12.2% growth in the June quarter, 123 in September. That needs to continue to go higher. My guess is the expectations are on four. 14% growth. If they do that, the stock is fine. I think about the opportunity relative to cloud, AWS, Azure, Google Cloud, and AI is Amazon's a distant third in that. It'd be Microsoft, Google, then Amazon. You mentioned their relationship with Anthropic. That's important. That's a foundation model. That's what powers a lot of their AI insights. They're opening themselves up to using other models on AWS. The big picture is this AI is big enough, even being a distant third player in AI is big enough to continue to lift AWS uh, growth rates. They are coming off harder comps because they do have that larger market share. They're probably going to be losing share, but they should be growing AWS in the foreseeable future end of this year, high teens, low 20%. I think that is realistic. And so I put this in a camp of things are going well. I think they're just better companies to focus on, but it's all about the AWS number. Should show a slight improvement. It should continue to improve throughout the year just because of the strength of the tailwind of AI. When you think about a company like Amazon, and again, there's lots of different business lines that they could apply this sort of gen AI to. Microsoft didn't have it. They had to invest very heavily in open AI, right, to get that sort of exclusivity. Alphabet and Amazon are ping-ponging back and forth with their investments in Anthropic, all these ex- OpenAI developers. There's a, a whole host of other companies that have started these foundational models and the like. Do you think 2024 will see a large 
M&A transaction from one of these large publicly traded companies that just basically say, I can't be sharing this sort of technology. I need it. Not this would be a very expensive aqua hire, if you will. But it's just like it does this become the sort of arms race. And especially if you're a company like Amazon, which a disproportionate amount of your valuation has been derived from AWS for the last 10 years. And now you don't have the growth to substantiate maybe the multiple where your stock is trading. Obviously, these would be very dilutive, and especially for a company like Amazon from a profitability standpoint, which it's always a bit dicey. I'm just curious, do you think this is the sort of thing that we might see? And maybe that's a sign of the top for all we know, Gene, in the near term. What Might we see some M&A transactions by some of these large publicly traded companies like Amazon? I believe we will. Deepwater's 2024 predictions, that was one of the predictions that we're going to see a M&A acquisition from large tech related to some of these pure play AI companies. The immediate question that comes up, of course, is what does this mean for regulation? And in this case, seems to be orbiting outside the general sphere of regulation because it's still unknown about the exact extent of the impact. It's hard for a regulator to stop and say, Uh, By you acquiring this company, it's going to impact your retail market share, online retail market share, for example. And so I think that something does get done. Which are the companies that uh, I think probably do that get acquired? I think it's probably Anthropic. I put Anthropic as one that we use these tools daily. And Anthropic more recently has just, I would describe it as they've hit the brakes on some of their insights. The amount of times that we get timed out when we ask a question, it says, sorry, I can't provide the results for copyright reasons. It's just gotten really tight-lipped recently. And so I think they're trying to navigate some issues around copyright. It's still a great foundation model, and it probably creates an opportunity for them to get acquired this year. But that's where my best guess, this is a guess uh, who gets acquired. But I do think that we're going to see some M&A. I don't think it's going to mark the top, but I think we'll see some M&A by big tech and AI this year. And generally on Amazon, into the print, how, how are you feeling about this name? Is it all about AWS now? Is is retail in the kind of rear view mirror? And, and do people want to hear a, a, about Gen AI and, and what that means for this business and overall as it relates to AWS? It's still all about AWS. Uh, midway through last year, I started to spend more time looking at the retail business and the potential impact on profitability and the fact that they basically hadn't been make, making any money. And if they could start to use AI to improve some of the route efficiency, for example, and some of the alignment in the distribution centers that could have a couple percentage impact. Opportunity is well in front of the company. It's clearly an opportunity, but investors just don't care. Will they care about that in a year from now? Probably not. I think at this time, it's still largely AWS. And because of that, I think the numbers are going to be fine. I just think there are better companies to own going into this quarter than Amazon. All right. So let's talk about one that just this on valuation looks like one of them, and that would be Meta. And this also reports on February 1st. When you think about the expected growth on earnings and high teens and let's call it low teens sort of revenue growth rate expected for 2024, 80% gross margin, kind of flat-ish. This stock is once again nearing $1 trillion in market cap. The last time it was near $1 trillion in market cap, Gene, you remember it very well, the end of 2021, where the company basically changed the name, changed the mission, changed the stock ticker, and then proceeded to sell off nearly 80%. Just think about that. 80% from its highs in November 2021 to its lows at some point in 2022. Now it's back up. It's up more than 300% and it trades at a multiple. If you just took out that whole two-year period and just flatlined it from 2021 to the other side of where we are on the other side of 2023, you'd say this company's been executing really well. It's been a difficult environment, blah, 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 blah. But you cannot erase that 80% loss. Like we have long memories. You and I have been doing this for a while. Massive miscalculation 
manipulation by the company. They bet a lot on a trend that didn't really materialize in the period in which they hoped it would, but they've righted the ship and then they've jumped on to the Gen AI train. A lot of folks actually don't love the way that they're doing it with this idea that Llama is going to be open sourced and the like here. But the company, at least right now, is getting the benefit that what they've invested in and how they're applying it across their different platforms they are getting the benefit right now, right? And they're being able to recognize that, whether it be digital ad rates and the like here. So talk to me about how you're thinking about this name, because if you're just looking at multiples relative to its peers and the like, it looks like a slam dunk. This is the cheapest of them all. I've got a complicated relationship when it comes to investing in Meta. On one end, we own it at Deepwater. Recently, petitioned for our investment committee to sell the stock because it's up so significantly and was asked the question from the team, do you believe that they're going to participate in AI? And my answer was absolutely. And I think that's one of the reasons why they can use these tools. They talked about some of them back in October at their developer day, but they can use, they announced three new developing related AI products, features, tools. They can use these to increase engagement. I mentioned the complicated piece of this. So I think this continues to inch higher. I'm the one who advocated for selling this. And as I thought about it a second time, I think that it's best to stay the course and let this continue to what I hope to is move higher. The complicated piece is I think that I still believe and feel compelled to let my belief known that I think that these products are not good for humanity. I think that some of what Instagram does is good for humanity. I think there's a lot of negatives around what they're doing in terms of curbing tech, teen addiction, things like that. And so I welcome any efforts that they have to improve that. I think that it is so rare to have a product that's used by two plus billion people a year and the growth rate in DAUs, those 2.3 billion people a year daily, the growth rate in those DAUs has been stepping up. It was 2%. Most recently, it was, it could have been even 6 7%. It's just remarkable off these high numbers. Why is that happening? Because they're getting better at doing targeting. When you're increasing DAUs, you're increasing the opportunities for ad impressions. And I think that's going to continue to yield good results going forward. And I hope that MetaQuest, Reality Labs gets a knockout punch here. I think what Apple's doing with Vision Pro is going to take years to build momentum. But the technology is just so far ahead of what Meta's doing I hope that encourages them to reduce the amount of that $10, $15 billion a year they're spending on Reality Labs, which would be further upside to earnings. Yeah, I love it the way you kind of frame the meta story. They're giving away free cigarettes, basically, and there's no guardrails around it by any means. I'm with you there. All right, just to kind of level set here, because we're just going to hit a couple more names before we get out of here. Microsoft, you remain very positive on, but you're a little bit worried from a sentiment standpoint and what the company is likely to be able to kind of say on this next call to keep the story going, at least the stock going in the manner in which it has here. Alphabet, you think, is probably one of the best ways to play this, probably one of the more underappreciated ways to play generative AI, especially relative to valuation. Amazon, you remain optimistic and you think that they obviously could be in the M&A game as it relates to this. And again, you remain focused on that underappreciated portion of the story, which I think got appreciated last year. And that was the North American retail business and then Meta, while you want to sell it, you have apprehensions about some of their business models. It's just truly astounding, the success. And then when you put that with valuation. Hey, 
Hey, listeners, it's Dan here. I want to tell you about a company that I'm really excited about. It's called Current. It's a fintech company that's completely disrupting traditional banking. I'm a new Current customer. It's already helping me and my entire family manage our finances, all from one easy-to-use app. So try Current for yourself and get the app by going to Current.com slash OK. That's Current.com slash OK. Current is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Choice Financial Group, member FDIC, and Cross River Bank, member FDIC. In today's hyper-fast markets, it's never been more important to consider every option to raise capital, drive growth, and create value. Stay one step ahead with Strategic Alternatives, a podcast from RBC Capital Markets. In this season, RBC's experts will examine how corporates and investors are evaluating their strategic plans, reassessing their portfolios, and reallocating capital to help them lead today and define tomorrow. Tune in to Strategic Alternatives, the RBC Capital Markets podcast today. Now, here's the big kahuna. This is the one everybody listening knows Gene Munster because, again, I started the pod by saying when you were on the sell side, you were the ax and apple. If you were invested in that story, if you were short that stock, you had to know what Gene thought into every print. And this one's less interesting to me these days, Gene, and it's a good thing that you're not on the sell side anymore. The growth rate's not that exceptional, right? Some of the areas in which the market is pretty focused on, that's not where they are. You talk about an installed base, two plus billion. In iOS. That is the story, how they monetize them through services. I know that's the thing that really excites me. And then I know that you think there's just a lot of optionality when you think about spatial computing. You seem to be one of the most excited tech folks that I know about this opportunity, not here and now, not about how many Vision Pros they're going to sell today, tomorrow, next week, and what the developer community looks like in and around it. It's really having a vision, pun intended, a few years down the road and how this ecosystem builds out the way that the iOS store built out and the like. Is that fair to frame your thought process in the name? So for Apple, we'll start with earnings, take a step back. And it's worth talking about the December quarter. Appreciate that setup about the longer term. But in terms of the current quarter, there is more noise around this quarter than I can remember. And specifically, there's been two downgrades and an upgrade. It's rare that a sell side would want to do something like that ahead of a quarter on a mega cap company like Apple. And we've seen a couple analysts stick their neck out on the negative side. And that, of course, is because of some demand concerns related to the iPhone, specifically in China. And separately, there's the topic around what's going to happen with the take rate in the App Store and their services revenue impact with the steering elimination. And of course, they've had some of the changes to Apple Watch with the black oxygen sensor. So this is unique. It's a unique quarter. It's a unique setup going into the quarter. I think you put it together. I think this is going to be a positive quarter for the stock because I think the iPhone number is actually going to be okay. The street's looking for revenue to be down about 1%. I think that's going to be fine and looking for 3% growth next year. So I think that the substance of this is going to remain intact. Also, they will mention that their install base, like you talked about, that 2 billion users, that is going to continue to expand. I don't know if it's this quarter or next quarter, they typically give that annual number on it, but they will highly likely say that it will expand. And that, of course, plays into this increasing investment thesis that this is an important chapter of Apple to just continue to increase the active device base. And so I think as long as that's going in the right direction, this company that the stock is probably going to have a, a relief rally on this print. As far far as the long term is agree with your setup about Vision Pro, it's going to take time and also is builds the ecosystem. But Apple also has other opportunities to build the ecosystem. And one is related to generative AI. And I expect that this 
June that they're going to announce their foundation model. It's in development right now. It's the, the code name is Ajax, but I think that they're going to show that. My guess is that they're going to name it Siri. And this is going to take Siri from what is ask a simple question about weather and set a timer today to one that you can actually have a conversation with. And ultimately, I think that even though it's not going to be the best generative AI, it is going to be a leap forward for Apple in the whole conversation about AI. And I believe on this upcoming earnings call, the company is going to start to say more about what they're going to want to do in AI. They haven't mentioned it once in 2023 on their prepared remarks. It has come up in the Q&A. Compare that to Meta that has mentioned AI or machine learning 91 times in the three conference calls in 2023. They have been the outlier. I think that will slowly change. And I think that is going to have a positive impact on the business. Vision Pro coming on. Don't rule out the car. I still think that's important part of the conversation longer term. But I think when you put all this together, Apple's dominance is still intact. You and I can make this bet maybe over the next few months or so. We're going to have plenty of time before the worldwide developers. I'll bet you they put Siri to bed, and I'll tell you why. I think it's been a a long, probably difficult experiment for them. They were really excited about what Siri meant for them in differentiating their products. And from just a pop culture standpoint, it definitely caught a lot of steam. But then it's also been just relegated to be just an also-ran machine learning within what we can all agree. It'll be really interesting to see. Because to me, I would almost want to chart a different course. And and again, you just mentioned the car. There was a headline today out of Bloomberg today that they've dialed back their ambitions in full self-driving and the timing in which they're going to introduce one. For years, we thought the low-hanging fruit would be a really cool device in the living room that kind of brings everything together. You know what I mean? Just the media and the mobile and all that sort of stuff. And so when you think about innovation at this company, you might be right on the $3,500 Vision Pro. And I know you're an early adopter and you're going to have one and find enterprise applications and entertainment applications and this and the like. But most of us won't. Most of those 2 billion install base won't for a very long time. And they might get it right. They might not. I'm sure there's going to be some interesting technologies built in and around it. But unless the developer community really gets behind this, because it's not going to be predominantly in the enterprise, there are far cheaper devices that you could use in the enterprise to find those immediate applications. So I'm less optimistic. You're the technologist. I'm just thinking about it from, I don't know when it's going to move the needle. And I think about a business like AirPods, for instance, which is really the last thing that anybody points to as the last really innovative, huge business line or the watch for that matter. Those things we just don't give a lot of thought to. They work really well when they break we just buy new ones for $250 or $550, whatever it is. And I think the Vision Pro gets you outside of there. I think the car gets you outside of there. Do you know what I mean? That's just my two cents. And for a stock that is trading at about 30 times this year's expected earnings and sales growth, mid to high single digits at best, they better come up with something that's really interesting in generative AI at some point this year, because I think it gets much harder. I said this on a pod a few months ago, Gene. I think Microsoft at some point this year solidly overtakes Apple in market cap terms, and they probably never look back. That's my two cents. That doesn't mean that Apple's done. It it might remain a a three-plus trillion-dollar market cap company. I just think that Microsoft probably pulls away at some point here. Thoughts on that? I'm just curious. Start with the Siri topic. Yes, they could rebrand it. I think their conversational piece, they're going to have a conversational form of AI, and uh, I agree with you. The branding is stale with Siri, so maybe this would be an opportunity for kind of a, a fresh start. In terms of Vision Pro, today it's not mainstream. They're going to sell three to 500,000 units. They sold 150,000 reportedly over the first weekend. So I could see 2020 
five being down in terms of units. We saw that with a watch is that the second year was down from the first year because there was some pent up demand there. But it is, agree with you, it is all about the developer community. I'm a belief, I talked about some of my concerns, criticisms, why I'm uneasy about Meta. There's a piece around Vision Pro that is so immersive and the brief 30 minute demo that I had, I don't do drugs, but my guess is it's probably like being on drugs because it's the real world seems so vivid, but yet there's these other elements that get pulled into it. Totally different than what's happened with Meta and my experience with MetaQuest. That's great technology. That's not a market though. That's not a product that everybody wants, especially at $3,500. But I believe immersive tech that captures people's attention, that gets to a price point of $1,000, potentially $1,500 that developers get behind, I think that does create an opportunity for this to be 15% of their revenue. It may take 10 years to get there, which is usually technologists will say five years out when they don't know how long something is. I'm saying 10 years, so it's a long time, but they do have that. And Apple has a force of will to get developers to be behind it, understand that they have a complicated also relationship with developers, but I think that they will get these developers because ultimately developers want to make money. And I think there's tech is so good. They're going to find ways to do that. I think that this is not going to be a high growth business, 5% top line, maybe 10%. But just because our lives are so connected and dependent on their ecosystem of devices, like no other company does, no company brings devices like this together. Uh, I think that it should continue to do well, but let's definitely continue to track this and have a fun debate. Yeah, it's funny. I I think that some of the biggest success early on for Vision Pro is going to be around a somewhat unsavory sort of topic. It's going to be porn. Developers in the porn community are going to be all over this, and that might really be the sort of negative headlines that a, a product like this might not enjoy among an installed base where safety and and the like is a big focus here. So this one will be really interesting, but I also think there's going to... By the way, Apple wouldn't let those apps be distributed though. Yeah, I, I guess from the app store, but think about all the porn sites predominantly are viewed on iOS oh, devices. Yeah. You, know, you know what I mean? You want to find a hacker on yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, th- th- there will. That's going to be the story of the Vision Pro in 2024, in my opinion, and it's not going to be one that Apple is going to love here. Again, I will continue to debate it. It's not my jam. I don't know if I ever would buy one. For shits and giggles, if it was a thousand bucks, I probably would have bought one. Do you know what I'm saying? And if it also had reviews that it was three better than an Oculus at double the price or something like that, would have gotten one and tried it, but not at 35. There's very few things that I own that are $3,000 or more in my life. Agreed. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I'm, when I bought it, I had a sinking feeling in my stomach, $3,800 <laughs> out the door with tax. That's a big ticket and agree that this is not mainstream pricing. All right. Last thing before we get out of here, really appreciate the time. Let's talk about Tesla. By the time that our listener, our viewer is going to be taking in this pod, Tesla will be reporting tonight. That's on Wednesday here. The stock is down 20-some percent just in the last few weeks. The sentiment could not be worse into a print than I can remember. And I just want to highlight this, Gene. The last three quarters, the day after the stock has reported, it was down 9%, meaning when investors had the opportunity to hear from Elon, hear from his team, look at the numbers, consider the guidance, they sold the stock down 9% in one day. Okay, so the stock is basically trading at a 9, 10-month low here. It's got a $665 billion market 
market cap. It's down about 50% from its all-time highs made at the end of 2021. It acts horribly relative to the market, relative to its mega cap tech peers. The fundamentals, in my opinion, could not have been worse. If you had a company that came in with the expectations very low to start out 2023 where it did, the stock went from $400 to $100 to January 2023, right? Expectations were really low. And then the company proceeds to basically miss the next three quarters, continue to guide down, come in the low end of their delivery estimate, right? The margin is below a level that they thought it would ever get to, right? And so here we are now, and I don't think it's a great press on the short side. I wouldn't be like selling it with both hands right here based on the setup into tonight's print, but I don't see the numbers getting materially better over the next few months, considering what we see is going on with the price wars in China, with the saturation here, with just demand issues in general. So it's one thing supply, right, which seems to be fine, but the demand doesn't seem to be there right now either. So the story feels shitty to me, Gene. I'm just curious your thoughts. And then the other thing is Elon, and you and I have talked about this over the last two years now, remains the wild card. After months and months of accusations about anti-Semitism and and some of the things on platform X or Twitter or whatever, two days before they're going to report, which I think is probably one of their most important quarterly reports for Tesla, He's touring Dachau and sitting down with Ben Shapiro, you know, a far right sort of figure or whatever. Just seems like the sort of behavior, if I'm all in on the Tesla story, just the Tesla story and all the robots and all the AI stuff and all the full self-driving and, and EVs taking over the world, I'm still not digging the CEO of this company right here. Just two chapters to this story. There's the chapter about what's happening, what's happened and what's happened. And just to put my numbers on that is that they grew almost 50% delivers at almost 50% in the June 23 quarter. And then went to just above 8% in September and will be 5%. They gave the delivery numbers already. So we know what the sales numbers, 5% in December. That is a massive deceleration. If you look at the the full year, deliveries grew at call it 30%. So all that's true. This has been a, a difficult period, a horrible period. This has been a growth story going to a single digit growth story. That's really not a growth story, which should be rewind that to commentary a year and a half ago when they talked about having 50% compound growth for the next decade. That means you're growing at 60, 70% these years. So this is a remarkable slowdown. My question is beyond the, I missed that. I knew things were going to slow, but it slowed much more than what I thought. And so from my perspective, I keep trying to look forward here and how is this going to play out? I think the current street estimates are, I'm looking at now that Tesla's going to grow at 20% in revenue at 20% in 2024. So that's a pretty big step up from the 5% growth this year. Now they get a little bit of a benefit from Cybertruck. They get a little bit of benefit from the refresh of Model 3, but that may or may not be the right number. There may be some risk, specifically to the March quarter. The street's looking for 13% growth up from five. I don't know if the Model 3 refresh is going to be enough to offset the elimination of the $7,500 tax credit, which pulled some sales into the December quarter. And so I think there's noise. I agree with that. You talked about a couple months. I, I would agree with that. My question is, if we just step back and look at what this potentially could do in 25 and beyond, is what is each investor should ask their question, what's their view on electrification? And if the view is that eventually we're going to be all electric, then you should believe that you're going to see a reacceleration in Tesla's revenue growth because traditional auto 
four of the top seven, by my math, said in October and November that they're backing off of ambitions to Ford recently said that they're going to cut production for the electric 150 by about half. They basically said they're going to close one of their two lines. So that's where I get the half number. So I think that Tesla is making all of the right moves in the near term. And ultimately, I think that's going to put the rest of big auto on the defense longer term. And why does that matter? It's not just about the prediction of a big tech, a big auto company potentially not being around in a decade. It's more about market share that goes up for grabs. And that ultimately is an opportunity for Tesla. So I agree with that. And I would just add one other piece. You talked about the Elon factor here. And I was at one point at a piece that Elon was really important. And another point, I thought Tesla's now gone far enough. They're not at risk of going out of business that they don't really need Elon. And, and he's got all these other projects. I think Elon is critical to Tesla. He is still a religious-like figure at, at the company. And I think with uh, the base and also with the investor base. I think that's really important. And I think the biggest risk related to Elon is I think the best decision he ever made was not to fight with buying Twitter, not to fight to get out of that, because I think this is going to be the data that's ultimately going to juice what is going to be crazy good foundation model with Grok over time. And we think about where we started the conversation with AI, like that's probably the juiciest, the biggest opportunity that Elon has. So I think Tesla investors should just recognize that his time over the next years is probably going to start to drift more towards x.ai i guess the question is if you if tomorrow on the call we heard that elon is stepping down as ceo of tesla does the stock gap down or up 20 oh, percent yes. okay well, i think it's i think it's down right and and so again at some point you have to decide 660 billion dollar market cap company without elon does it just become an ev automaker with all the challenges of manufacturing these things in, in, in a big secular shift and again I, I don't have the answer all i know is that no one ever thought that they would be approaching traditional ice auto margins and here they are, right? They've gone down from 25% to the high teens. And so if you just tell me that there's not a meaningful uptick in that because they're involved in a price war in China, that just seems like they're not getting out of that in China because they're just- yeah, what- Not getting out. On the, the idea of Elon leaves, let's just go down that path. Elon leaves. The initial reaction is going to be negative. I don't think they're just another EV maker. I think that traditional car companies are just in a tight spot when it comes to electrification. They have a parts business that uh, does exceptionally well. They have a service. I don't know if you've gotten your car serviced recently. It's a lot of dough. Broke a headlight on a a Volvo recently, $4,700. I said I would replace it myself. I did. Yeah, but Gene, ask ask Tesla owners what it's like to fix a Tesla car. Can't do it. It's it's brutal. The the point on services is that traditional auto has a great business around ICE cars, and they know how to make them really well, and they do the fit and finish better than Tesla. But I think when it comes to electrification, I do believe it's a different vehicle. I think not just different vehicle. I believe it's a different whole different product category. And I think that just because Elon if he does leave, I think that doesn't diminish the lead that they have. And what I believe is a lead that they've built over, increased their lead over the last four or five months as traditional auto has backed away. At CES, Honda talked about some of their EVs. There's two of them. They're jokes. And Honda's a real company. They have 10% market share in the US. And I think that ultimately that the decisions that traditional auto have made over the past year related to EV will come back to haunt them. We'll see 
it's a fun topic to well, continue to. You could make the argument that the decision that Elon made a couple years ago to disregard a very low end twenty five thousand dollar EV in place of a full self driving push is the thing that's sinking the company right now, especially when you think about um, being non competitive in places like China. And so, to me, if Elon had literally when he put out that tweet in late twenty twenty one when the stock was north of a trillion dollars, uh, the the tweet read, "Should I sell stock?" right to pay taxes remember all that stuff and he was concerned if he had just dropped the mic right there and said i did what i said i was going to do nearly 20 years ago with tesla he would literally go he would have gone off into it would have been amazing but now i think he's in it man i i really do and i i think that it gets harder for him in 2024 before it gets easier in my opinion but listen again we'll continue to d- debate this one here Love it. I got one more thing to end on, if I may. Of course. We talked about AI. I want to put another prediction out there is that I think in the next three to five years, we're going to go into an AI bubble. I think we're at the very start of this. We're in 1995. I lived through the bubble. I'd love to come back and talk more about why I think that there's a bubble coming. I think it's a function of necessity that a bubble in AI has to happen. Love to tell you more about it. I would listen. We will schedule that as soon as earnings season's over. Let's sit down and do that because I think what what you're suggesting is that uh, like dozens, if not hundreds, of other stocks join the party, exactly. and, and and that's what's interesting to me. And when I'm looking, I'm actually looking at your the Deepwater Frontier Tech Innovator ETF, and I'm looking at some of the components, and I can just start scratching my head a little bit and looking at some of these names and see how they will play as this technology moves beyond just the sorts of things, productivity tools and search and recommendation engines for this and the like. And so to me, I think that's where people are going to make a lot of money on this because listen, if you're invested in the S&P, if you're invested in the NASDAQ, over the last year, you've made a lot of money in AI, but it's in six stocks, right? Mm -hmm. Like they are all of the performance. If the rally is going to broaden out, if we're going to have 95, 96, 97, 98, average returns of 30% a year driven by enthusiasm in and around a new technology, you're going to want to find some different uh, ways to play it is I think what you're saying. Love it. Yep. Let's talk more. Thanks for having me on. Hi, Gene. I really appreciate it. You went OT with me. That is Gene Munster from Deepwater Asset Management. We appreciate you being here. Let's do it again really soon. Thanks, Gene. Can't wait. If you like what you heard, make sure to hit follow and leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. We also want to hear from you. Email us at contact at riskreversal.com.